Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the Lower Columbia Pacific region. I am one of your hosts, Teresa Rustloff. My co-host, Jessica Schleif, is off this week. And today, I am very excited to be talking to Chip Bubel. He is an OSU Extension agent for Columbia County. Um, he also does serve Clotsop County as an Ag Extension agent. Um, he's been with OSU Extension for decades, and he is just someone I admire so deeply, and I'm so excited to get to talk to him today. Welcome, Chip. Well, thank you very much, Teresa, for having me. Enjoy talking with you. So tell us a little bit about your career with Extension. I mean, you've been with that particular office, right, for a long time. How long have you been? A long time, 40-plus years, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, my, my career path was, uh, you know, Started out, I was born in Corvallis. Um, uh-huh. Worked on uh, in the Willamette Valley on, on farms um, when I was growing up, and then took a detour for a period of time and and um, did non farming, non ag things, and decided I wanted to come back and get a degree in horticulture at OSU, and mm-hmm. and led to a master's degree in horticulture from OSU, and a couple of years working for a major agricultural company down in the San Joaquin Valley in California, and then back to Oregon, which I love so much. So I've been here ever since. And have you always been in, in Columbia County with their extension program? I, I have been, did... yes. I was hired. Um, actually, it's really interesting. We've only had three ag extension agents in Columbia County since 1917. Wow. <laughs> so we, that's, we, we that's get here something and we stay positive here. about the experience there, huh? So you want to stick around? Okay. I said it's something positive for yes. that area. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's an interesting, around. interesting place. Yeah, this whole lower, yeah. lower Columbia River system is fascinating to me, and always has been. Yeah. So you know, just for people who may not be entirely familiar with um, extension service and what it does, can you kind of give a little, you know, brief overview of what is an extension service and what kind of things does it do? Absolutely. The extension service was basically created out of the Langrant University system, and that was created by Abraham Lincoln in 1865 to basically do research in agriculture and to create a more vigorous farming community, more more um, forward-working farming community during that period of time, and then to actually communicate the results of the work that was being were being done at the experiment stations around the country. They created this system of extension agents, and so every state has an extension system, and they're based at the land grant university. So in Oregon, it's, it's Oregon State University, in Washington, it's WSU, and in California, it's UC Berkeley, UC Davis. So anyway, we're, mm-hmm. we're um, we that's the system basically that has been to communicate advances in food production technology, cropping systems crops, self-introduction, new crops, that kind of thing, and working on the plant protection issues around growing the crops, whether it's weed management, insect disease management, those kinds of things. So that's mm-hmm. the core part of the ag portion. And then the 4-H program was originally developed to because kids were thought to be more amenable to trying new things than adults were in the 1920s, and so they decided to get kids involved in raising livestock or raising crops and that maybe Dad would learn something along the way. And really? that was the original <laughs> uh, rationale for it. Right. 
And um, and then uh, at the same time, there was perceived to be a need for um, what was at that point called home ec, and later mm-hmm. became um, you know uh, family and community health as we call it now. But it involved food preservation and kind of things related to home security and home resiliency kinds of aspects. So it's a it's a package. And then of course in, in the areas that uh, have a significant seafood industry like like you do in, in Clatsop County. There was mm-hmm. a sea grant system that was designed to meet the needs of those producers, the, the people that work in the in the fish, fisheries in, in the region. So and that happens, that's all around the country too in the areas of Avalos. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me what how extensive extension is. I mean so many different topics that it covers and so many different services that it provides. And I know for us here in Clutsop County, um, you know, our extension office tends to serve a pretty wide area. You know, people in Washington come over and do our Master Gardeners program here. And and yet you also, because we don't have an agricultural extension agent based here in Clutsop County, so you serve Clutsop County in that role as well, advising farmers here on agricultural issues because Master Gardeners, can only advise on home garden issues. They can't advise on commercial issues. Is that correct? That is correct. Right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. I, I do work yeah. in the Master Gardener program in teaching a number of the classes in Astoria and, and yeah. help. I honestly they need remember. Advice. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, when I went through the Master Gardener program uh, back, God, it was back in 2003, I think, you taught this all-day course on herbicides and pesticides. And as, like, someone who was totally committed to organic farming, I thought, oh, this is going to be the worst class ever. I'm going to hate it. And it was honestly, I think, the one that I liked the most, that I got the most out of. It was so informative and enlightening about that. So you really opened my eyes to, you know, the fact that organic producers also use pesticides and herbicides. We just call them different things, and they they act differently. They act differently. They're different compounds. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But essentially, we're still trying to kill pests and deal with weeds. So, yeah, that was a that was a very humbling class for me. So I appreciate that. I'm I'm curious since you have been in extension for for so long, um, how how do you see the changes out in this kind of lower Columbia region in agriculture? I mean, I feel like it like in the course of your career, it must have changed quite a lot. Yeah, well, in, in Columbia County, and, and especially down in the areas that adjoin Classic County and what we call the Classic and I uh, dike areas along the Columbia River, um, uh-huh. that was undergoing a change just as I got here. There had been a consolidation of a lot of land into a large cattle operation, and then that ran into trouble and uh-huh. then was sold to, well, what eventually ended up being... Um, Greenwood Industries, but but uh, for a while, uh, Crown Zellback owned it, and other other parties that had been involved with the Wall of Paper Mill owned it. Anyway, they turned it into a hybrid poplar operation. Uh huh. Took out six thousand acres of land that had been historically farmed either for livestock or, in, in many cases, for other crops. I mean, Columbia County at one point was the largest mint producing county, peppermint oil producing county in the United States. Uh, it was really you know. Renowned, and we still have one very large producer, Seely, Mike Seely and his family, um, mm-hmm. who, who produce peppermint, peppermint oil there, and then also produce uh, 
actual commercial candy seeds and some others that I think are in the I'm pretty sure in the Astoria co-op and, and available. I think that they are. Yeah, I've seen that featured. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, so that that operation is now breaking back up, and and um, we'll, we'll see what happens to some of that land as as it comes out of poplars. It, it does mm-hmm. provide potentially some options for getting some other cropping systems going again. And in, in South County, our main agricultural area is the Scapoose area, and that has a large organic dairy, actually, and um, some other vegetable cropping, um, some, yeah, some pastures, uh, livestock raising, that kind of thing going on down there. And then we have a fair number of small farms that, that market both locally and and this is what we're going to get into, I think, a little bit in discussing what's happening right now. But we're marketing into the into Portland, particularly into mm-hmm. the system, and that has yeah. taken a big hit with all the shutting down of the restaurants, especially in, in the Portland area for us, because um, they were major consumers of, you know, not the largest farms produce, but the ones that were very specialized and very often often organic producers that were selling into those into those restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard um, that? I, I know that um, what I'm what I'm hearing and seeing here in the county is a lot of those farms that were predominantly selling to restaurants um, have a lot of them have really pivoted to, you know, more of a CSA model, a community supported yeah. agriculture, where they're selling subscriptions and delivering boxes to people, boxes of veg, or finding some other creative ways to distribute what they grow. Um, well, that's, youth. that's exactly what's happening. It's, it's had to happen, and it's it's been a, an interesting and a difficult challenge. But it's these farmers that are doing this are really resilient people, and mm-hmm. and um, they're they're a death marker. The interesting thing is with COVID, you know, as people aren't going to restaurants, they've they've upped their buying of vegetables tremendously nationally, fresh vegetables, mm-hmm. uh, far more than they have fruit. And they yeah. thought that, well, as once, you know, the, the restrictions for going out to eat and those kinds of things are taken off, they'll go back to the old pattern. They're not. They're buying yeah. more vegetables. And that seems to be a trend that is um, pretty established now at this point in time. So that's yeah, kind of exciting for, yeah. for the small growers. And I think it's a good thing, for sure, for people's health and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's and, nice to see that. And I feel like there's been so much interest in that and people cooking again, cooking at home again, which has been really fascinating. I know there was a big home baking explosion as well that happened at the beginning of of the kind of all the shutdowns and things like that. But I've also seen a lot of people sharing recipes and sharing cooking, like cooking with vegetables. And and certainly too, and I'm, I'm curious if you've seen this up there as well, but we saw a huge explosion of the interest in gardens. And home gardens, and people want to grow something. It it really reminds me a lot. In fact, I think it's even more intense than the 2008 uh, real recession, where a lot of people also lost their jobs in in very short order. And Mm -hmm. there was at that point a tremendous resurgence of of home gardening and real interest in food preservation. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and that persisted for three or four years, and then. Slowly but surely, our, our food preservation classes, there's still people coming to them, but the numbers went down and the age actually went up. Uh, of the the age went up? In that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the, the younger people in our community uh, that are that have families and are interested in, in food and, and uh, fresh food and high-quality food, they're definitely calling us a lot more about 
food preservation options and opportunities to learn and questions about particular techniques and those kinds of things. So that and home gardening are both skyrocketing. Yes, I totally agree with you. So I, just on that topic, though, so, you know, I know with all these restrictions about, you know, in-person classes and all of these mm-hmm. things, how is Extension responding to this interest? Are there more online classes that people can take? Is it, like, what's the plan for those food preservation courses or master gardeners or things like that? I mean, I was super interested in taking some food, some of those, like, uh, like uh, commercial food processing courses that were um, offered out here last year and looking mm-hmm. into that and suddenly like, oh, I can't do that in person anymore. What are the options if you want to do some of that kind of learning? Yeah. Yeah. So so we're, tr- we're doing the best we can with some online digital delivery. Um, our, our, home, our FCH person is very talented in food preservation, and I think you've got somebody that's really talented with that. I know you do in Classic County. So I would call the Classic County office and mm-hmm. um, or get in touch with somebody there and see what they have planning or being scheduled for food preservation issues. I know that our office has traditionally done pressure gauge testing, and mm-hmm. we are just setting up a schedule now to offer the opportunities for people to come in and get the pressure gauge tested, which is something you know everyone who's canning food that potentially could end up if you don't do it right, causing major illness like botulism, they need to have pressure gauges tested every two or three years. That's, that's, so, yeah, this um, is using a, if you're using a pressure canner for, say, like canning tuna or yeah. or just like tomato sauce without any, you know, citric acid or anything in it, um, things that are low-acid foods. Yeah, it, so, yeah, it is, so that is less, possible to get your – so that those programs are starting up again. Because I was thinking about that earlier. I did a tuna canning, uh, um, and I was thinking, oh, I should really get the pressure gauge tested, but I couldn't. So we just went ahead and did it, and it worked fine. But, you yeah. know, I yeah. kind of worry. Anyway, I, I would guess the class of – I'm pretty sure the class is going to be doing some of their own pressure gauge testing as well. So I would definitely contact your local office and, and find out uh, – you know, if they've set up a schedule, you don't know what that schedule is going to look like. So, yeah. anyway, yeah, that food preservation is a significant, significant activity going on right now. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I feel like I'm hearing more of, and again, I think it's, you know, it's kind of a response to the times we're in, and I'm curious to see how long it lasts in our communities. But people who maybe, you know, maybe they're interested in or they've had that kind of small farm dream or kind of like a homestead that maybe sells a little bit extra um, of their produce. And, and I think a lot of people are starting to really feel an urgency to, to move ahead with that if they can. And I know that, that um, OSU Extension has some like, you know, in, introduction to small landowner, small farm stuff is the growing farms program and things like that. What are some resources that Extension might have for people who maybe they own a piece of land or they're about to buy a piece of land? But they're interested in in stepping it up a little bit and maybe growing more, producing something, putting in some crops, and maybe just for themselves, but also maybe to sell a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I would definitely encourage them to go to our Ocean Small Farms website, and they are beginning to put stuff up digitally that they used to come out and, and deliver directly. And mm-hmm. and so I think there's some real opportunities there for learning. I would strongly recommend a, a publication that I, I helped write some years ago called What Can I Do With My Small Farm? Because it, it stood the test of time in terms of, of I think, the advice that it 
offers and the, the questions that ask people to think about how they would answer those kinds of things. So I, I would definitely look at some of those resources. And then, you know, we are in the beginning planning stages of coming out of this um, pandemic, hopefully, um, at, at some point. And so we're also planning for future classes. And please stay in contact with me, and we'll, we'll see. We're, there's been some hope that we would be able to hire a faculty member to serve directly in Classical Tillamook County, the, the agricultural small farm community, as well as the Master Gardening Program, and that got put on mm -hmm. hold by this pandemic um, process, but uh, that is still part of the plan, so I, I can't say mm -hmm. when it'll happen, but I, I, I do believe it will at some point. But, um, yeah, um, I'm so excited about that. That awesome. kind of resource would be so meaningful. with me and call me as well. Yeah. Well, you've been so helpful for, I know so many of the small farms out here have reached out to you and connected and asked questions. Mm -hmm. And it's it's wonderful to be able to talk to someone that has such a long history with a region too, because there are so many things that are, I mean, really unique about growing in these kind of, you know, Northwest coastal climate zones or near a river, or near water, that really, it's not the same as growing in the Willamette Valley at all. Well, that is true. I do actually regard you as one of the experts. <laughs> oh gosh, you know about that. Which is true. <laughs> um, so, well, I so, think I've, uh, I've made all the mistakes that you can possibly make. Although I shouldn't say that because I'm sure that there's plenty more that I will continue to make <laughs> as we go along. You know, but, but, um, the, but that's what's great that about being able to share information with members. Do learn and, through what they do and their mistakes incredibly, and and the ones that ones that survive really have a, a, a treasure of knowledge in, in that. Yeah. I've just been honestly really um, kind of blown away by the amount of things that we can grow out here. Mm -hmm. And I really remember when, you know, when my husband Packy and I moved to the North Coast in 2003 and started mentioning that, oh, yeah, we were going to start a small farm. So many people here were just like, well, you can't farm here. Nothing grows here. You can't. Now, there's nobody farms in this area. And I knew that there were some farms in the area, notably like Kingfisher Farms down in Hillam and Mm -hmm. Glory Bee Farm out in Grays River, Washington, but you know, but really there wasn't a lot of small-scale farming happening back then, and the the crop list that people were recommending was very limited. And I've been amazed at you know being able to push that envelope and seeing other farms try crops and just be like, oh, hey, that actually does grow here. That's kind of cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that grows pretty well. All right, you know, and, and learning like you know, I, I'm less afraid of trying something new. Um, I think that there are some limitations. Like I probably won't plant any nectarine trees out here because <laughs> I just don't think those would do well. But but there's a lot of things that will grow well in our in our region. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are microclimates all over yeah. on both sides of the river where mm -hmm. something is oddly warmer or a little bit drier at a crucial time or something like that than another uh -huh. place. And... and uh, so getting getting to know those and how your particular location fits in with that is you know that mm -hmm. that is part of the learning curve of somebody getting started. Yeah, it really seems to depend on how close you are to the ocean, you know, what side of the river you're on, mm -hmm. you know, where you are in proximity to a hill or 
our forest land. It's kind of fascinating. I, I wanted to ask, have you been having the amount of rainfall that we've been having? Oh, in yesterday, Columbia, yesterday was just, an absolute I feel like we've huge. had such a wet sure. spring. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, yeah, just amazing. Um, we, we had a rain gauge at the extension office, and then uh, it, it broke, actually, about three weeks ago, and I haven't gotten a part in yet. And so, oh, no. <laughs> so I haven't been able to get real data, but we've had to have picked up in the last four days upwards of um, three or four inches of rain, I think. It's yeah. astonishing. Um, okay, I got, I'm glad I'm not going to. Farming is I just like way down here uh, right now. Just can't get on the mm-hmm. field. I mean, my leafy greens are loving it, and yes. they're doing great. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting. So many other things are growing really slowly, and I'm a little bit worried about my garlic crop because, like, this is a time of year when it starts to kind of you you want it to dry off and start dying back for harvest in July. And I feel like, oh, it's getting so much rain right now. Yeah. But um, you know, I would yeah. I would be checking some of your garlic maybe further along than you think. One of the things that I've noticed strangely on garlic over the last few years are that. What I used to think of as a sort of a mid-July harvest, it, it, it is kind of day-length triggered, but also triggered by odd sets of temperature things that go along with it. Anyway, some of the varieties have been maturing now at the end of June, and so yes. you, need, you could you could start looking at it a little bit and see where you're at. Do you judge it at all by the garlic here. scapes? Like if you have a hardneck variety that sends up those kind of flower shoots that yes. you can snap off and that are delicious. So when they the, when it, they're scaping, like all my garlic has gotten crazy scapes all over it right now, um, oh. and then it's like you snap those off, and then it's it's fairly soon after that mm-hmm. that they're ready for harvesting. I think that seems to be about. Well, they they aren't. They're, they're getting close. I mean, so so years ago, I, you know, this this gets back to my large commercial scale ag. We grew thousands of acres of onions and garlic for dehydration, and uh, we got into looking at how you decide when exactly to harvest. And basically, those outer skins of garlic um, tend to um, sort of dissolve, in a sense, uh, over a period of time. And once you're down to two or three skins, that's roughly a good time to harvest. If we leave it too long, especially when it's wet, the decay issues increase dramatically. Yeah, I feel like you get a lot of split heads where they're not like a nice tight head, but the bulbs split open. Yes, yeah. And That's basically you've lost that outer skin. It's not holding it together too well. Mm-hmm. Well, I will check my garlic way more closely now after speaking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been enjoying yeah. the garlic scapes, but um, but definitely I don't want to lose this harvest So, um, or have it be, uh, you know, not store as well. I mean, certainly if your if your garlic cloves do split, you know, or don't have that storage shell on them, they're certainly still edible. It's just that they oh, don't absolutely. store as long. No, absolutely, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. But they are, yeah, they are more difficult as well. No, I, I think garlic is a fascinating plant. I, I, I could talk a half an hour just on garlic. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> we should do that sometime. You know, I and we will. where I'm really amazed at how well it actually grows out here. Yes. Um. You know, I, for some reason, I wasn't when I started farming out here. I didn't think of garlic as being a crop that would do well in a coastal climate, but I think it really does. No, <laughs> you know, it, it just it kind of depends on your well. location, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think. But, uh, in fact, I think in some ways it may do may do better in terms of the fresh market quality than some of the garlic that's grown in the Willamette Valley. Um, 
and there's a variety of different reasons for that, but yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, so garlic farms on the on the Oregon coast. This could be something. This could be our future. Yeah. I think there's so many opportunities out here for agriculture, and it's really exciting to see, you know, so many small farms starting up, and people really interested in local food and flowers and gardening. I mean, do you feel encouraged at this point in your career? I mean, you've got to be. Oh, absolutely. I'm not trying to push you out at all. I want you to stay forever, but. You know, like if you had a long career, I mean, how do you feel about where we are right now? I, 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 there are cycles of things. Um, we're seeing far less that's sort of livestock. In fact, we've had a lot of farms that were hill pastures, raising livestock, not a lot. Usually they had other jobs. but And those mostly have actually been converted to um, timberland over time. Mm-hmm. So those have been lost to agriculture in a sense um, due to that conversion. But in the areas kind of closer to the river, um, there are definitely significant number of small farms that are actively trying to um, grow and develop and really find their niche in, in both their agricultural skills and in the market the market states mm-hmm. working to. Yeah. Well, Do you feel like the, the market is people growing? Do. I mean, we, there's. There's one guy doing an incredible mushroom operation. Um, he doesn't. He, he sells mostly in the Portland farmers markets, historically into restaurants. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. That that has always struck me as like a a, a a sector for growth in our climate. Mushrooms, given the dampness <laughs> of our region. <laughs> I've thought about that well, as well. And I sort of one more crop to add. I kind of you know I want to do it, but I also don't. But I would love for there to be more mushroom growing out here. Sure, sure. The edible mushroom. It, it does involve <laughs> moving a lot, around a lot of material, you know, the substrate for it to grow on. And so that's yeah. some partially a material yeah. handling thing, but then you're not plowing ground. So, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you lose one thing and you gain, gain another kind of job that you have to do as part of it. So, yeah. I could see that. I yeah. do want to mention oh. before we end, uh, I don't know if there'll be any commercial farmers that will be listening to this, I'm sure there will be some, but both the extension offices all around the state got some really big supplies of personal protective equipment, masks and a hand sanitizer. And these are being offered free to farmers or businesses in the food system. Um, And I would check with the Classic County Extension Office because all of us have a fair amount of material left over in terms of these, these boxes of masks. And, uh, and hand sanitizer bottles, 24-ounce hand sanitizer bottles. So anyway, if anyone's interested, call, get in touch with your extension office there in Classic County, and they can provide a way for you to get that material. That is such a great – I'm so glad you brought that up, Chip, because it is a really great resource that um, is available to people. So I do want to mention that, and please contact local extension offices if you're a farmer work in agriculture, food systems, if you need personal protective equipment, sanitizers, it's available and um, and it's a great resource to have. And I'm so grateful that it's been made available. I mean, that acknowledgement that, you know, for people in this industry, that those are definitely concerns working out in the fields, doing harvest or processing yes. food, that it's, we need to stay safe. So I really appreciate that. And I, I so appreciate your wisdom, Chip, and how much you've shared that um, with with our region in, you know, for over the years of your career, but also sharing so much with us today. That's so great. Um, if people want to get in touch with 
with Extension or like if, if um, farmers have agricultural questions, how do they reach out to you? The easiest, the easiest way is is to um, email me. Uh, just go to Columbia County Extension Service or Oregon uh-huh. University Columbia County Extension Service, and yeah. um, my email is there. It's chipcherrybubel at oregonstate.edu, but you can just find it there. You don't have to write it down right now. But okay. I'll, I'll respond to every and all email, and I do respond. I'm responding to a couple in Classic County this morning. Yeah. And um, and we'll give you give anyone that's interested a phone number at that point in time to get in touch with me if it's a question that we can't handle by email. So so oh, absolutely, I am available and more than willing to, to be your assistance. Well, thank you so much, Chip. We've been speaking with Chip Bubel. He's a Columbia County, Oregon State University Extension agent and um, just a wonderful person. Thank you so much for joining us, Chip. I really appreciate you, the work you do, and, and how much information you shared with us today. Well, I, I appreciate KMUN. I've been a donor to KMUN for, I think, at least 10 consecutive years at this point. So. Oh, well, thank you for that as well. We really appreciate your and support. I appreciate everyone listening to be a donor. Thank you. And thanks so much to everyone for joining us for this morning's in-season program. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.